0: Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. If you haven't been with us, we are going through a series. We're taking a break in the Gospel of Luke. And we've been going through a series um, entitled, uh, Housekeeping, taking out the theological garbage or taking out the theological trash. And um, this is not a time, as Richard has shared and I've shared, this is not a time for us to look down our noses at people who um, interpret things different from us, but it is a time we want to clear up what the Scriptures are teaching. And so today he gave me the passage in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41, and we'll look at that in just a second. But um, as I was thinking through this, I was reminded, being here in Greenwood, Mississippi, I'm sure many of y'all here are Duck Dynasty fans, or you have been at some point in your life. Um, I I was a fan before they became famous, before the reality show came out. I remember in college, uh, having a VHS, the youth probably don't, know what that is but had a VHS of this uh, this man he'd painted in all black and he looked real scary and he was out there hunting ducks and uh, when ducks flew in they didn't know it was about to hit him and he'd say cut them all jack and and those all you'd see was feathers falling to the to the ground um, but then when the reality show came out uh, I heard this man Phil Robertson that man who was shooting the ducks I heard him talking about Jesus in his reality show and um, I was a new believer when that reality show came out, and he came to speak at the Muse Center in Pearl, and so I went to hear him speak because he was going to be talking about Jesus, and so I wanted to go hear what he had to say. And I want to read from—I want to read an excerpt from one of his talks. He speaks to evangelical churches far and wide, and so do people of his um, his corporation, the Duck Commander Corporation. They they speak at churches, and this is something that that Phil said at uh, at at the talk when, when I was there. He said, Jesus leaves all the disciples and then they took out, and bef- well, before they killed them all, and they started preaching the same gospel that I preach 2,000 years ago. And 2,000 years later, you say, Phil, you preach the same thing? Same gospel? He said, same gospel. You preach the same response, Phil? He said, same response. Well, what do we do? Well, Phil said, Peter says, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Now what they say now, a whole lot of people, they say repent, but you ain't got to be baptized for the remission of your sins to receive God's Spirit. And I'm like, do what? It says it right there. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. So I heard... Feel I heard him share the gospel, the basic truths of the gospel, and then I heard him say, he's quoting the Bible, Acts chapter 2, and he's saying that for me to be forgiven of my sins, I must be baptized and in that, in that moment receive the Holy Spirit. And so, as a, as a new believer, I, I, was a, I was a little confused, even though I know this is a biblical text. Because I was thinking we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, I don't want to belittle baptism in any way, and we'll get to that. I think baptism is very important. We're commanded uh, to, to baptize. The, the, disciple, the discipleship program includes baptism. But what he was saying confused me a little bit. And, and I have a, another brief story that just ties into that. Um, a friend of mine shared the gospel with a co-worker, and he called me up after that. He called me to, you know, he was excited. This, this, guy, this co-worker believed on Christ, or it appeared that he had believed on Christ. And then he called me back a, a few uh, hours later, and he was terrified. Because another co-worker in that, in that restaurant told that new convert that if he died before he went and got baptized, he would go to hell. And so my friend called me up, and he's like, is this true? This person took me to Acts chapter 2. And showed me what this verse said. If he dies on the way to his baptism and he hasn't been baptized, will he go to hell? And so I don't know if any of you have ever had that situation in your life or had that conversation with someone. I want to I say at the beginning, just in case someone passes out between now and the end, no, <laughs> no, no. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But let's, let's, let's look. We need to look at the text, okay? And so, to interpret the text rightly, we, we remember that context is king, right? Context is king. And so, what's going on in Acts? Acts chapter 1. We know that, that Luke is continuing. He's, he's laying out this case for Theophilus. He's showing that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, he did what he, what, what he said He would do, and, and now he is, still, he is still doing things. He has ascended into heaven, and He has sent the Holy Spirit, and this is how He's now working on earth, through the power of the Spirit. And so Luke's laying that out in Acts chapter 1. He says you know, that, that Jesus said before He ascended, Jesus was going to send the Holy Spirit, and the disciples would be witnesses of Jesus in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And a cool thing, when you read Acts, it starts in Jerusalem, and it ends in Rome. He did exactly what he said he would do, and here we are in Greenwood, Mississippi, still talking about Jesus. So he did. He does what he says he's going to do. Um, Acts chapter 1, he, 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 he tells us the promise that Jesus made, and then in Acts chapter 2, where we'll be today, Acts chapter 2, we see that on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after um, the celebration of the Passover, which which is when Jesus was crucified, on the day of Pentecost, we see the Holy Spirit fall upon the apostles. And they begin speaking in tongues. Now the tongues here are are languages that, that other people can understand, but people who spoke other languages. These men, now the apostles, they can preach the gospel in a language that they did not know before but a language that was intelligible to others from other places. This is the tongues that we read about here in the Scriptures. They were preaching the gospel in other languages, and they didn't have Rosetta Stone. This was by the power of the Holy Spirit that they could do this. And a neat side note is that many scholars say, this is, we see in this, we see a reversal of the Tower of Babel. In Babel, God sends... The nation's out, divides their languages, and here we see them being brought into Jerusalem and they're hearing the gospel in their language. And so we know that God is is restoring His people. And as as the apostles are preaching, some marvel, some marvel and some scoff. Some believe that these men were drunk. And this is what prompted Peter's sermon in our text today. But beginning in chapter 2, verse 14, Peter reminds the people, all those that are gathered, there's some, probably over 200,000 people in this area at the time to celebrate. And Peter is reminding them what they are seeing and hearing is actually what was promised by the prophet Joel. He said he would pour his spirit out on all people. And here he is doing it. What y'all see, this is what the prophet promised. He's showing them from the Scriptures that this is exactly what God promised would, would happen. And then he starts preaching the first recorded post-ascension sermon. And I got a lot of help here from Dr. Guy Waters. If you want a good commentary on Acts, Dr. Guy Waters is the man to see. And he, he brought these things to my attention. As I, as I was reading through this, think of Peter's sermon. To understand what we're going to look at today, we've got to understand what Peter preached Peter's sermon was biblical. If you go through and read that sermon, Peter appeals to their minds. He is is appealing to their intelligence. He's, He's laying out a biblical and rational sermon. He's expounding upon Psalm 16 and Psalm 110, and he's saying those are about Jesus. And he's laying out this biblical sermon. And we've got to remember here that our faith is not based on fuzzy feelings. Our faith faith is not based on some fable. Our faith is based on the Word of God, which stands forever. And that's what Peter was preaching. He was preaching the Word. And so we see him here. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. Peter's pointing to the Old Testament scriptures and causing them to think through what they're hearing. Peter's sermon was bold. You remember, this is the same Peter, the same Peter that ran off and betrayed Jesus before his crucifixion. And here he is standing in the multitude of the people, the people that most likely hated him because they hated his Savior. And here he is. He's not being harsh with it, but he is being honest and he's preaching the truth in love to these people now. The Holy Spirit was emboldening Peter to preach the truth. His sermon. And I would say, if we could say most importantly, his sermon was about Jesus. It was Christ-centered. He reminds them that Jesus was a man from Nazareth. He's flesh and blood. He's a true human, right? Jesus was a man from Nazareth, but not any ordinary man. He's the God-man. You saw the mighty works and deeds that Jesus did among you. That's what he's telling them. He said, you saw Him. You saw Him heal the blind. You saw Him heal the, the deaf. You saw Him mul- multiply loaves and, and, and fish. You saw these things. He performed mighty deeds among you and He taught as one who had authority, not like the scribes. This Jesus, right? And He, and he also let them know that Jesus' crucifixion was not by chance. It was the definite plan according to the divine foreknowledge of God that this happened. This was not plan B. This was a part of the plan. Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. But God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He arose from the dead. And Peter's telling everybody in the crowd, he rose from the dead and I've seen him. I've seen him. These men up here with me, they've seen him. We're witnesses to His resurrection. And so He's letting them know that. Could you imagine the crowd in that moment? They're hearing all these things. The Old Testament Scriptures that they would have known, and and Peter's expounding them. And then they're thinking back on what they had seen of Jesus, because most of them, a lot of them, had seen Him at some point. And so now they're thinking through this. And then he gets to another point here. His sermon was honest about their sin. His sermon was honest about their sin. Though it was the definite plan of God for Jesus to be delivered up, he turns to them and he says, You delivered him over to the hands of lawless men and had him crucified. You did. He doesn't pull any punches here. He, he, any, any good physician in the room knows that we, we must know what's wrong with the patient before we can give them the remedy, right? And this is what Peter's doing. He's letting them know, you are sinners. You're the one that had Jesus delivered up. Okay, He says this in verse 36 of chapter 2. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, all your scoffing, all your hatred, all your unbelief was against the author of life, the Lord in Christ, the one who will return to judge the living and the dead. It was against him that you did this. So you can only imagine. I mean, What would you you do in that situation? And we get it recorded here in our verses today. In Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41. Upon hearing this sermon about Jesus and and their sin, what they had done by sending Jesus to the cross, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, brothers, What shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off and everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words, He bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's amazing. And one thing that I want us to see today from this passage is that we must respond to the gospel. There, There must be a response, for God has promised us great things beyond measure. And so the three things that we're going to look at, we're going to look at the response, we're going to look at the promises, and then we're going to look at the scope of the promise. Okay, the scope of the promises here. All right, so first, the response. They hear this gospel sermon, they hear, they hear this truth preached, and then they just they serve up a softball and they say, what must we do? Anybody in here who's ever shared the gospel with anybody, you, just, you, kind of, you hope somebody is going to get to that point where they say, what do I do? Like, what, can, well, you know, what am I supposed to do, right? And here his response was, this sermon had moved through their heads to their hearts. And only by the power of the Holy Spirit can this be done. The Spirit uses the, the preached word or the taught word to open the eyes and ears of unbelievers. And here Peter calls for a response. We haven't fully preached the gospel unless we call for some, some response, Okay. And notice Peter doesn't ask anybody to walk down an aisle. He doesn't ask anybody to raise their hand and pray a prayer. And I know there are people in here, I've done that 15 to 20, 30 times. Okay? But he doesn't say that. Right? And I know people who do, I'm sure people who use that method, they, they have great intentions. But what does Peter call them to do here? What is the, the call? What is the response to be to this gospel preaching? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we're going to stop there and deal with the promises in just a minute. But he says, repent. And like I said earlier, when we read the confession of faith, this word can confuse people. When you hear repentance, I don't know what you think of, but typically if I ask someone what repentance means, they say um, to ask for forgiveness. Or they may say something like, confess your sin. Those are good things, but they in and of themselves are not repentance. They may make up a, a part of your repentance, but, but just to ask for forgiveness, that's not, that's not repentance. Or just confessing your sin, that's not repentance. You know, they're fine in themselves, but we need to know what it means and why Peter uses that term here. You know, John the Baptist, when he came, he came preaching repentance. When Jesus came, he says, The kingdom of heaven is at his hand, repent. And later on in Luke, he says, repent or you will perish. So this is important. But here's another question we might ask at this point, or at least it's one that I did when I was really young in the faith and I'd read through this. I always ask, why doesn't he say believe right here? Why didn't he say believe the gospel or have faith in Jesus? You know, that's a good question to ask. And hopefully I can help you or help us understand why? Here in a second. Okay, so we got to look through a couple of passages in Acts to see um, these terms being used, or maybe a, a, another term being used like believe instead of repent. Okay, in Acts chapter, well, really you have it in Acts chapter 3. If you go read through Acts chapter 3, you have Peter preaching a sermon, and he says, repent, and therefore turn again, and you will receive times refreshing from the Lord. So he uses repent there. But then, if you look in Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, verses 42 and 43, says this, And he, Jesus, and he commanded us to preach the gospel to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, in Jesus, everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Okay so there we see him in Acts 10 saying everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness Acts chapter 16 Acts chapter 16 verse 31 you have a similar situation as the one that we read in our text in Acts 2 in Acts 16 you have the Philippian jailer this gentile who's cut to the heart and he says sirs what must we do to be saved he wants salvation and he asked the question and Paul and Silas say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So again, we see in these two passages, and we could go on and on, John 3, 16, Ephesians chapter 2. Like, I, literally, we could go on and on, and we see that it's belief or faith in the Lord Jesus that is the instrument by which we are saved. So why did Peter say repent? What does that have to do with faith? Dr. Waters he said that that repentance is a whole soul turning away from sin to God. Repentance is a whole soul turning away from sin to God. What we how we read it in the in the confession this morning. You know some people think of repentance as just stopping. I'm just going to stop doing that sin whatever it is. But what have you turned to? Or to whom have you turned? Right? It's we turn to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? So that we see this in, in, our, in, our, in our confession in the Scriptures. Great theologians, they, they have showed us that, that repentance and faith are used interchangeably throughout the book of Acts because they're two sides of the same coin. Repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. Sinclair Sinclair Ferguson said it this way, we believingly repent and we repentantly believe. You can't have repentance without faith, right? Because true biblical repentance is not only seeing your sin for what it is, but it's seeing Jesus for who He says He is and you turn from sin to Christ. Faith in Christ. And so, If that's ever tripped you up, why he doesn't say believe or faith there, just know that when you're reading through Acts, that belief, faith, and repentance are used interchangeably at times. They're two two sides of the same coin. Okay? So to be saved, one must respond to the gospel. Peter's telling them you must repent, turn from your sin, and believe on Christ. Repent and and place your faith. Receive Christ by faith. But what about baptism? Baptism. Why does he say repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? And Dr. Waters again, he said in in this specific setting here, he says, why does he add it here? He says, because true repentance, true faith will bring forth fruit in believers. And one such fruit at this point in time would be to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Because these are people who had rejected Christ up until this point. They were people who were familiar with baptism, They were familiar with ceremonial washings, but they had rejected Christ. You know, most likely some of them had heard the preaching of John the Baptist and, and, and heard about the baptism that he was doing down in the Jordan. Or maybe they'd heard about Jesus being baptized in the Jordan. I mean, Jesus, before His ascension, He said that baptism would be a part of the discipleship plan, the discipling of all the nations. How do we do that? How do we disciple? Will we baptize? in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And so it's, it's a major part of discipleship, baptism is. Okay? So, we've seen what he's, he, he's commanded. We've seen what he's told them to do. How they're to respond is to repent or believe in Christ and be baptized. So let's look at two promises that he mentions here. He says, so baptism is the command, and it's very important, but we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But this, this verse says, be baptized for the remission of your sins, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. So the two promises that we see are the remission of sins and the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so how does that connect, or why does this phrase just look so, it looks off to us? And we've got to know that the, the preposition that's translated for in that, in that uh, text, in, in Acts 2, um, 38, 39 there, when, it says, when, when it's translated for the Greek text, actually it has a wider lexical meaning. And I'm not going to get into this long. I'm just telling you this briefly. It has a wider lexical meaning. And when we take that truth and, 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 and join it with all of the rest of the Scriptures, we know that this is a, this is a better translation of this, of this verse. Repent and be baptized with a view to the forgiveness of sins. Okay, it's not, it's not a causal statement saying we baptize and then all of a sudden we get forgiveness of sins, baptize, and we all of a sudden get the Holy Spirit. No, this is, it's not a causal statement in that sense. Okay, we've got to remember, and I'm not going to be able to say everything you want me to say, and if, if I confuse you or anything, please come find me or let's talk uh, soon. But baptism is a sign and seal of the new covenant. It's a sign pointing to the washing away of our sins. Just as water washes us, the sign is pouring, it's showing forth or promising this pouring out of the Holy Spirit, just as He's poured into our hearts by faith. You know, we see signs and seals all throughout the Old Testament Scriptures. The tree of life in the garden was a sign. Okay, the rainbow with Noah, that was a sign, a promise that God would not destroy the earth with with a flood, right? Circumcision is a sign that was given to Abraham and, and showing promising that that God was going to cut away the stony heart, the flesh of the heart and give a new heart. Then you had the Passover and the Sabbath these were signs and seals that we see in the old covenant a sign it, it, it's an invisible sign of an invisible grace when we when we talk about signs and seals and this this I was thinking through of a, of, of a, a way that we could explain, or I could explain a sign, and, and this may not be a great analogy here, but, but bear with me. I was thinking of McDonald's, okay? What is a sign, right? Uh, how is baptism a sign and a seal? Well, McDonald's, when you're driving down the road, you see those big golden arches, right? The fries. They got, they got a little line in them. Those are actually fries, Not literal fries, but but it's supposed to look like fries, right? And so that's a sign. And anywhere but in Greenwood, most likely, if you turn into that McDonald's, you're going to get what's promised there. Now, the sign is not the food. The sign is not the food. But let's say it's a properly functioning, new creation, McDonald's. You turn in there, and you can get you some fries, right? Right? The sign is pointing to a reality that's, that should be in there, right? Or you think of the butter, the McDonald's butter, it's got the little seal on it. I don't know, I hope they still do that. I hadn't had the, the, the hot cakes from there in a long time, but don't give them to me if you don't give me the butter with the M, the seal. McDonald's seal. they're promising to give me buttery goodness with that little McDonald's sealed butter right? Calories and goodness and all all that. They have a sign and a seal that are promising us something. And in a much greater way, a, a way that cannot... God will not lie and He will not fail you. He has given us signs and seals saying, I promise... You meet the conditions of the covenant which is belief in Jesus and your sins will be washed away just as that little baby has the water poured out on his head. Your your sins will be washed away and I will pour out the Spirit in your heart. How good God is to us to give us signs and seals, promises, right? And you think about these two promises, what, what greater promises are there? Like, what greater promise could you receive today? I mean, I can promise my kids to go to Sonic, and there are times where I've backed out on that promise. And Sonic is pretty good to them. You know, they enjoy that. There is no greater promise in this world than if you turn to Jesus in faith, your sins are forgiven. cleansed. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove your sins from you. Never to bring them up again. Cleansed if you come to Him in faith. Or, Or think of this promise. To have the Holy Spirit of God to dwell in you. The Holy Spirit of God that resurrected Jesus from the dead, dwelling in you and in me. There's no greater promise than that. Those two taken together are just unbelievable, and that's what He's promised us. So, we have have these commands, this response to the gospel of repent, believe in Christ, and then we have this baptism. We need to baptize. We want to baptize new converts, and we're going to look in a second at the scope of Of the promise here, which is going to get into some of our distinctives in the Presbyterian Church about baptism. Um, But before we move on to the last point, we've got to remember, in case we've forgotten, baptism. Richard Longnecker said this. He's a great uh, uh, commentator, theologian. He says, "Remember that though baptism is expected in the life of a believer, it's not an indispensable criterion for salvation." So going back to my friend's question, if my buddy dies on the way to his baptism, is he going to hell? No. We've got to remember that it's not an indispensable criterion for salvation. And I want to give us two biblical examples. We don't need to build our whole theology of baptism off these two, but let's, we can use them. So two examples. One of someone who was not baptized, but they entered paradise. that They went to be with the Lord at their death. The thief on the cross, Right? Jesus told him, today you will be with me in paradise. And the thief was not baptized. Okay? So we, we, see that it's not, we see that it's not an indispensable criterion for salvation. There are some who believe because you're baptized, you automatically get the forgiveness of sins and you get the Holy Spirit. And that's wrong. We don't believe that. Uh, look at Simon the magician in Acts chapter 8. He was baptized. He claimed to believe and was baptized. But then... He wanted to do some superpower stuff, and he said, "Look, I'll pay for that Holy Spirit. I'll give, I'll, I'll give some money to, to to be able to do what y'all are doing." And and Peter jumped on him quick and said, "You're in the gall of bitterness. You know, repent. You're basically you're you're not a believer. You're 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 <clears throat> following Satan." Okay, so we see two examples there: one that someone believed and was not yet baptized, and they went to be with the Lord, and one that was baptized but fell away. Okay? And so lastly, I want, to talk, I want to look at briefly, how far does the promise reach? This promise that, that Peter gives us in Acts 2, 38 and 39, how far does it reach? And I'm going to be brief here, like I said, in verse 39, Peter picks up the promise. He picks up on the promise that was made to Abraham back in Genesis. And he says, this promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And look, I know there's some in here who come from a Baptist background. Um, I, 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 I mean, full disclosure, when I, we joined Westminster, we moved here six years ago. We, we were Baptist in our belief of, of baptism, um, that only believers were to be baptized. And... Uh, and, and we came here because Richard and Ian preached the gospel, Christ was exalted, and we fell in love with the people of Westminster. Mainly because Christ was preached, and then because of you, believers, and your goodness towards us. Okay. And the first time I saw a baby, an infant baptized, I was up there in the balcony where that uh, Stephen is, and I, and I was looking down, And I I remember seeing it and my stomach turned. Like I just, it just felt wrong to me at that moment um, to see a baby baptized because of my former beliefs. And it took a couple of years, and and even in my time in seminary and and listening and, and studying, when I really started to learn about taking the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation and seeing it as a whole, and seeing the covenants and that the way that they're laid out and this covenant of grace and the different dispensations of the covenant of grace, um, that I came to see the beauty in what we do here, which is um, baptize our children, our covenant children. Um, We can't take one isolated text and figure out baptism. I mean, people who come from a credo-baptist side and pedo-baptist side, we we can't just take one text and go, gotcha. Right, We don't want to do that. We don't want to be that way. It, you, but, but we here at Westminster, for the most part, we take it as a whole. And there are some in here who still, you've joined Westminster and you, and you have a Baptistic understanding. And the great thing about Westminster is you can still join this church with a, a differing view of baptism. Whereas if, if you were a covenant child and were baptized and try to go join other churches, they may not let you join because of your baptism. We we will let people join who have a differing view of baptism, okay? But Peter goes back and he reaches back into Genesis and he takes that promise and he says it's for you and for your children. And if there was any time where Peter could have changed the the uh, the narrative a bit, it would have been right here. These people had practiced circumcision; they had circumcised their children or their boys eight days after they were born. They had done this for centuries. And so at any point, Peter, at this point right here, would have been the time for Peter to stand up and go, hey, y'all, your children are no longer a part of the covenant. I know we've done this, and it's been a part of the deal, the whole time, but now, no, it's just for the adults, or it's just for when you come to faith in Christ. But he didn't do that. He didn't. And then when you read through Acts, you know, mostly you see adults being baptized, but of course, this is a new point in redemptive history. The covenant sign has changed from circumcision to baptism. Of course, you're going to mainly see adults baptized. But we also see household baptism. Household baptisms throughout the book of Acts, where people would believe, and then they, they would be baptized, and then they would baptize their household. They would receive the covenant sign. So we see that. And I, I believe that, that this is a great case in Acts chapter 2 for us to give the covenant sign to our children. But if you have not been baptized, if you're an adult and you've never been baptized, but you're a believer in Christ, you, you need to come and be baptized. And, and, and I, I would encourage people to baptize their children too. I mean, that's what, when, when we finally, when we kind of came across Nora Grace was born, and, and we did that, I think it's a beautiful thing to give them the sign and seal of the covenant of grace. Okay, and, and some people, they think that baptism is mainly a sign of your faith. It's my faith. I'm going forward. I'm being baptized. This is a picture of my faith. And babies can't exercise faith. But we've got to remember that signs and seals, they are not primarily a sign of our faith, but a sign and a seal of what God has promised and we see those two promises in Acts chapter 2 that he promises to give. He promises to forgive our sins, all those who would come to him in repentance and faith, to wash away our sins just as the water washes away dirt on the body, just as the waters is poured, just like the water is poured out. He promises to pour out the Holy Spirit in our hearts if we come to him by faith, okay? And, and look, I know I'm not probably not going to convince anybody who thinks differently just in this moment. And there's so much to talk about in that area. Um, I would like to talk to you if you ever wanted to talk about it, I would love to talk to you about that. And it's okay for us to disagree about a secondary issue like baptism. It's an important issue, but it is secondary. And this is how we're ending. It doesn't put you outside of orthodoxy to be a credo Baptist or have a baptistic view of baptism and it doesn't put you outside of orthodoxy to to have a paedo-baptist or an infant baptism view of, of baptism, okay? But what does put you outside of orthodoxy? What does put you outside of the church? It's to add anything to the gospel, to add anything to the good news of Jesus Christ, his life, death, burial and resurrection and ascension if we add anything if we add jesus plus baptism jesus plus tithing jesus plus church attendance jesus plus homeschooling plus service anything if you name it if we add anything to jesus and what he's done we are outside of the orthodox faith that is not the gospel he has done it all the gospel is it's been done for you believe it believe in christ Okay, and so Peter's sermon in Acts 22 through 36, it was about the life, death, resurrection, and the ascension of Christ. And this is the greatest need for our world today. Okay, notice Peter wasn't trying to get them to overthrow Roman tyranny at this point. And I'm not saying social things are not important, but I'm just telling you, the main thing that they needed to know was that they were sinners and that there was a way of salvation through faith in Christ. And this is what Peter preached to them in this moment. Peter preached the gospel to them. He doesn't shy away of talking about sin. He talks about sin. We must know the malady before we can get the remedy, okay? Peter spoke the truth in love. And notice he did not leave them there in their sin, but he called them to repent to believe the gospel. He called them to baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus, the one that they had despised, initiating them. This baptism is initiation into the new covenant community and marking them out as God's possession. And so that's what we see Peter do. So brothers and sisters, let's praise the Lord today for his mercy and grace towards us, towards rebel sinners like you and me. And we praise his his name for the sweet means of grace that he's given us in the word and in the sacraments, and in prayer. That he's given us these tangible signs and seals. That he promises to do what he said he would do if we believe in Christ. And so let everything that has breath praise the Lord this morning. Let's pray. Um, Dear Lord, thank you so much again for your salvation that you offer in Christ this free salvation, this gospel that we we can't add anything to it. Nothing can be added to the work that Christ has done on behalf of sinners. And we praise You for that this morning. Please, I pray that, that we in here would understand that truth. Just believe what You've promised and that we would turn from our sin, trusting in You, Lord. Help us to lead and love our families well as we go out today and to glorify You in all that we do. In Christ's name, amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.